I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my lips. That, that word all, all times, and that word continually, no, no matter my situation in life, the challenge that we have been given is to bless the Lord in sickness and in health, when the economy's booming or inflation is soaring. I will bless the Lord at all times through the transitions and the unknowns, through the uncertainties and the doctor appointments. I will bless the Lord at all times. As we think about blessing the Lord at all times, this verse reminds us that worship is not just something that we do for one hour on Sunday morning. That worship is not just the musical portion of what we do on Sunday morning to cut it down to 20 or 30 minutes a week. Instead, worship is a response to God through which I set my focus on him, my heart is right toward him, my actions honor him because he is great and greatly to be praised. He is worthy of my, my praise and my life bringing honor and glory to him. God wants us to live a lifestyle of worship. And we find that Israel during Malachi's day failed. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Malachi chapter 1. And we're going to pick up with verse number 6 this morning. And we're thinking about worship and their apathetic worship. It says this, a son honors his father and a servant his master. But if I am a father, where's my honor? And if I am a master, where is your fear of me, says the Lord of armies, to you priests who despise my name. Now notice, he's talking to the priest. Now this is not just the people. He's talking to those who are to be leading in worship. Yet you ask, how have we despised your name? By presenting defiled food on my altar. How have we defiled you, you ask, when you say the Lord's table is contemptible? When you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Asks the Lord of armies. And now plead for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us? Since this has come from your hands, will he show any of you favor? Asks the Lord of armies. I wish one of you would shut the temple doors, so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations. From the rising of the sun to its setting, incense and pure offering will be presented in my name in every place, because my name will be great among the nations." says the Lord of armies, but you are profaning it when you say the Lord's table is defiled and its product, its food is contemptible. You also say, look, what a weariness or what a nuisance and you scorn it, says the Lord of armies. 
You bring stolen, lame, or sick animals. You bring this as an offering. Am I to accept that from your hands? Asked the Lord. The deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow, but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of armies, and my name will be feared among the nations. And with that, let's pray. God, thank you for your word and thank you for your truth and speak to us today in your name. Amen. As we look at ancient Israel in in the book of Malachi, remember they have been off in Babylonian exile. Now they have come back. They have rebuilt the temple. They have rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem. And God confronts them over their worship. It is not that they are worshiping the wrong God. They are not involved in idolatry at this point. Instead, They are worshiping the true God, the right God, in the wrong way. And they are not living with a lifestyle that's going to worship God in the temple and outside the temple. So Malachi spends the first chapter and a half confronting the worship of God's people as they walk through this time in their life where their life is just apathetic and nonchalant. Can this happen in our day? Can people live one way six days a week and show up for one hour? Can can people uh, just take God casually and for granted and with a nonchalant and lackadaisical attitude? Can people put something else in front of God and just come in for an hour on Sunday morning? As we think about life, uh, our lifestyle and lifestyle of worship, it is a response to God's greatness. We respond, focusing. Our eyes are set. We're focused. Our heart is right. And with our life and our actions, we honor him. But that was not what was going on in Israel. Instead, what they did was they lived a lifestyle of apathetic worship. So as we think about their lifestyle of apathetic worship, and we think about apathetic worship, I, I, I want you to know that, that apathetic worship disrespects God. Now, because this goes on in our day, what I want to do is I want to ask four questions, because just like in, in Malachi's day, this can go on in our day. We can go through the motions of church and live how we want the rest of the week. We can come in and put a smile on our face and sing in the choir, lead in the band. We can teach a class, volunteer for preschool or nursery. We can jump into children's church. We can participate in our Sunday school class. But the truth of the matter is, is what's going on in our life? Do we honor God with our life? Do we honor God in our life and with our lifestyle? honor God. That's the problem in verse number six, where he says, uh, a son honors his father. But if I'm a father, where's my honor? And the word honor is a very interesting word. The word means to honor or to revere or to give glory to. It's the Hebrew word kabod, which means glory. It's often talked about the glory of God, but it means weight. You know, there's some people in, in your life that carry a lot of weight. If you have a wise mentor advisor and they tell you something, their words often carry a lot of weight. 
If you're around people who chronically complain and, and are always negative, then you can say something like, yeah, their, their words don't have much weight with me. Here the picture is, do we honor God? Does God carry weight in our life? Can I ask you today? Is God carrying weight in how you live? What you say? Where you go? What you do? What you watch? Does your life honor God? Second question is this. Do you give God your leftovers? Do you give God your leftovers? Notice as we see in verse 6, 7, 8, they're coming and they're, they're worshiping, but instead what we find, they're, they're not bringing their best. They're bringing animals that are blind or lame or sick. Matter of fact, you slide down to verse number 13. They're even stealing animals and bringing them to the temple for sacrifice. I mean, you talk about leftovers is one thing, but then stealing something and thinking, God's not going to know about this? Can I tell you, before God receives your gift, he perceives your heart. Before you give it, and before God receives it, he inspects what your heart is like and where that is coming from. Are you just waiting and, and if I have five bucks at the end of the week, I'll, I'll throw that in the offering? Now, listen, our giving is part of worship. That was part of our worship then. It's part of our worship now. And can I just tell you, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 9 tells us that we are to honor the Lord with our, with our possessions and to give of our first fruits. There's this picture that in our life, if, if we wait and pay all of our bills and, you know, run out to eat and we got to buy a new pair of jeans for one of our kids, if we do that and we, we say, all right, whatever's left, I'm going to give to God, you're never going to have anything left. But instead to say, Lord, I want to honor you with my possessions and give of my first fruits. I want to give my, my first and my best. So when I was a kid, there were six of us kids at nine years. And, uh, you know, we, we never ate out, and, and, but my mom made meals every night for us at home. She was a stay-at-home mom uh, during, during most of, of my uh, years, in, in my early years for sure, until I got into high school. But when we had to collect canned goods for uh, the needy, for a school drive, for church, those kinds of things... And I would go downstairs into the area my dad had kind of built as a pantry. Remember, there's six of us kids in nine years. And I got to pick the groceries that are going to the needy. Can I tell you what little buddy is picking? Dude, he's picking the lima beans and the canned butter beans. Nobody's getting my cream corn now, you know? And that fruit cocktail, my mama used to put that in the red jello. Did you ever have the fruit cocktail in the red jello? Yeah, all right, you're, you're checking me. Kids know nothing about that today, all right? You know, if it's, if it's not a chicken tender or a french fry, they don't know much about that anymore. Listen, they weren't getting my fruit cocktail and they weren't getting my cream corn. They were getting the dry old butter beans out of a can. What did that say about my heart as a little kid? I was watching out for me. I didn't want to give them what I liked. I wanted to just give them something I wasn't going to have to eat for vegetables in a couple of nights. Sometimes we do that with God. Lord, I, I like this. Lord, I want to hold on to this. But I don't really care for this. So I'm just going to give that to you. You can have this. Do you give God your leftovers? Leftovers? 
Third, are you going through the motions? Are you just going through the motions of worship? They were going to worship. They were going to the temple. They were bringing sacrifices, but it meant nothing to them. They, they could have cared less about any of it. They were just going through the motions. And, and the Lord even comes to the point, and it's, it's amazing to me, in, in verse number 10, where he says, I wish one of you would just shut the temple door, that you would quit coming to worship all together. Are you just going through the motions? And then, question number four, are worship services just a nuisance, an inconvenience? Notice what he says in, in verse number 13. You also say, look, what a nuisance. Hey, I've got other things I want to do on Sunday morning. And now uh, it's getting in the way of, of work and it's getting in the way of school and it's getting in the way of activities and it's getting in the way of sports. Look, church, you can, you're just going to, I don't have time anymore. You know, we all have 168 hours a week. And yet what we find is the attitude and the action of these people was, look, we're not interested in honor God. We want to live our own life, do our own thing, be our own person. And that's why they're in the middle misery that they are in. Worship has just become an inconvenience and a nuisance to them instead of a time to come corporately together. As I'm seeking to live for Jesus in a challenging and a dark world, I come to church to get encouragement from others, to lift the Lord up with others. But when my focus is merely on me and my lifestyle is just apathetic and half-hearted toward the things of God, listen, I probably am not going to walk out with a lot in our church service. A lifestyle of apathetic worship disrespects God, but not only does it disrespect God, but it is rejected by God. You, I, I find it amazing. Sometimes people think if, I, if I'm in the door, if I go to church, if I'm at a service, then it counts. Or others who say, you know, I can worship God out on the boat. I, can, I don't have to come to church. I can just worship God in nature. Yeah, you can. But that doesn't mean God accepts it. You can worship God just like they did. But it doesn't mean God is going to accept it. Notice with me the, 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 the challenging words that God has to say in verse number 8. God says that their offerings are wrong. Down in verse number 10, he says that their, that their worship is, is completely unacceptable. He says that you're burning a useless fire and I will accept no offering from your hands. It is absolutely unacceptable. So you can worship how you want and you do. But that doesn't mean that God accepts your worship. There's a, a lifestyle that we can live a very apathetic, careless, put-in-my-time kind of worship. And God rejects it. He says in verse 13, you're bringing stolen and lame animals and you bring that as an offering. Am I to accept that from your hand? But there is an alternative and as we think of the negative aspects of Malachi chapter 1, let's, let's look at the positive side. If, if we're going to have and look at a life of apathetic worship, then what can we learn from this chapter about a lifestyle of genuine worship? 
What does God want us to do and how does God want us to respond in worship? Well, as we think about a lifestyle of genuine worship, then we have to recognize God's greatness. It's setting our focus. It's recognizing who he is. It's taking time to think about who God is and all that God has done. And we've looked at these these pictures of God in Malachi chapter 1 before, but we're going to do it again today. Notice in verse number 6 where God pictures himself as a father. God is a father in Malachi chapter 1 and verse number 6. And he is also a master. He says a son honors his father. If I'm, if I'm a, a, a father, then, then where's my honor? If I'm a master, then where's that sense of reverence that you have toward me? I am a father. I am a master. That's who I am. And think about us as believers, God calls himself a father. God shows himself to be master. God is also a great king. Notice what we find down in verse number 13 and 14 as we come to the end, especially verse 14. He says, the deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow, but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord for I am a great king, says the Lord of armies. I am a great king. The, the picture is, is, is you have to understand his greatness. But then we see that word in verse 14. We also see it in verse 4, verse 6, verse 8. The Lord of armies. Remember, God is the Lord of armies. But the picture is, is God as the Lord of, of armies, as we, we look at who he is, we recognize that he is the great God over all human strength and over all human armies. He has all power in his hands. But he is also the God who was personal with Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And showed his powerful hand with David in 1 Samuel chapter 17, where David would say, you come at me with a sword and spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies. A lifestyle of genuine worship recognizes who God is. But then we not only recognize who God is, but then we respond to who God is. And this is where it gets really practical for us as believers. We recognize God as Father, Master, Great King, Lord of Armies. So how do we respond? Well, let's think about that together. First off, we respond to God's greatness from our own heart. We respond to the greatness of God in, in setting our mind. That's, that's number one. We've got to have our focus. And then we, we make sure that our heart is right and our heart is in the right place and that our heart is engaged. Do you realize everybody worships something? I was driving in this morning and I saw a guy in an older Chevy pickup truck, maybe 60s, 70s, and man, it was shined up paint. I mean, it, it was really sweet. And I think, you know, everybody worships something. It could be shining that truck. He may have been going to church. I don't want to give any motives to him, but I'm just saying, That truck has been through hours and hours of work. I remember when uh, that team, that football team that won the Super Bowl last week, I hate to even bring it up, when they they moved out of uh, St. Louis, they had an interview with one of the fans, and, and he asked the question, 
what am I going to do on Sundays in the fall now? That was his question. And did you know on Saturdays and Sundays in the fall, oh, there are all kinds of people and they're gathering together by the thousands and spending into the billions to worship rams and tigers and bulldogs and gators and razorbacks and wolverines. That's where their heart and their focus is. But how do we respond to our great God? Well, God is a father and we respond from the heart. We respond lovingly. God's a father. So we respond with a heart of of love. We respond, God, thank you. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. How does this happen? Well, we know that God the Father sent his Son. The Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So us on this side in the New Testament, we recognize that God the Father sent his Son ultimately so that we could experience salvation, so that he would be revealed to us, so that we could experience true walk with him and true worship of him. But many have lost the fire of responding to the fire, the father lovingly. It's kind of like when your kid sees that you're starting to pull the trash out of the trash can and they think in their heart, you know what, I ought to help mom or dad. And they get up out of their chair and they go, I'll, I'll take it out. And they grab the trash out of your hand and they take it outside. A respond of gratitude. My parents provide me a house. My parents uh, show their love to me. My parents do so much. They, you know, these jeans I'm wearing and these, you know, tennis shoes and, and I'm going to school, all these. Compare that with the one that you're tying the trash bag and you say, hey, uh, would you mind taking the trash out? And they throw their remote and they slam down their Dr. Pepper and they stomp over to the trash can and they grab it and they slam the trash can door open and they throw the trash bag in and they slam it back down and they slam the door behind them. A lot of difference, isn't it? They both did what they were supposed to do. But they did it in a different way. And can I say just as a parent, One way was acceptable. Another way was completely unacceptable. So we can't just say, well, I came to church, so it counts. You might come to church and God say, you might as well shut the doors. Nothing. Unacceptable. Your heart's not right. Your head's not right. You're not in it. You don't look at me as a father. You look at me as a genie. So that you can rub the bottle and whenever you need something, poof, I'm going to come out. We respond to a father lovingly. We respond to a master humbly. He says, I am a father and I am a master. We recognize that God is God and we are not. You remember Psalm 115 verse number three? Our God is in heaven. He does what he pleases. God's God, we're not. We respond humbly. God is a great king. So we respond reverently. We respond reverently. We revere the fact that he is an awesome king. 
He is king over all. We don't have time, but if you dive over into Psalm 47, you see that God is the king of of all the world and he is the king of all the people. Our God is king. Then we see the New Testament. And as we open up our eyes in the New Testament and we see Jesus in Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 16, and he's wearing a robe and on that robe are the words, King of kings and Lord of lords. We have a king. How how are you responding to the father, the master, the king today? What, What does your worship look like today? You, you know as well as I do, it takes a lot of focus. As we sing, as we open God's word, your mind can move way faster than I could even talk. And so that discipline to say, God, I really care. And so when I get those thoughts and, and, and I'm, I'm tempted to plan my next vacation and I'm more worried about what I'm having for lunch and I'm, I'm looking at my calendar for next week, instead of saying, Lord, I'm going to put all that behind me and recognize that you are, are God. Your father, your master, you're a great king. And so, Lord, I want to stay focused and I want to hear what you have for me today. But God is the Lord of armies, and so we respond with awe. We respond with awe. Before the children of Israel, actually before even the northern kingdom that fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C., before the, before the, the, the nation of Israel, the ten northern tribes, fell to the Assyrians in 722 BC, there was a prophet whose name was Amos. And Amos, in Amos chapter 4 and verse number 12, asked that question, uh, or, or, or made that statement, Israel, prepare to meet your God. And then he says this, right after he says that in Amos 4.13, listen. He is here. The one who forms the mountains, creates the winds, and reveals his thoughts to man. The one who makes the dawn out of darkness and strides on the heights of the earth. The Lord God of armies is his name. So what Amos does is in Amos chapter 4 and verse number 12, he's saying, Israel, now you're going off into paganism and idolatry, and I'm telling you this, you need to prepare to meet God. He is awesome. He has created all things. He is the Lord of armies. And yet you'd rather have a block of wood, a sculpture of gold. Again, the issue in Malachi's day is not a sculpture of gold or a block of wood. They're worshiping the true God, but they're worshiping in the wrong way. And this God, who has shown himself through Jesus and has made a way for us to have salvation, calls us to be worshipers today. He calls us to recognize who he is and to revere him today. I'm reminded of that passage over in Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. In verse 24, verse 7. And then it says, for the king of glory who is going to come in. And then it asks the question, who is the king of glory? 
And you know what Psalm 2410 says? The king of glory is the Lord of armies. And he is coming. How do we see that coming? In part, in Revelation chapter 19, verse number 11 and following, we see Jesus coming in on a white horse. And on his head are many crowns. And he's wearing a robe that is dipped in blood. And out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword. And his eyes are like fire, penetrating, seeing and discerning. And written on his robe is the name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus, as he stepped into humanity, revealed God to us. Now, the real question is, is how are you responding, not just to the Father, but have you received the Son, Jesus, the Savior? Are you living a life of apathy, a stagnant spiritual walk, apathetic worship, or can I challenge you, call you, plead with you to say our God is worthy to be worshiped at all times. His praise shall continually be on our mouth. So this week, set your focus to the Father, the Master, the Great King, the Lord of Armies, and respond to his greatness in worship. And with that, let's pray together. We've spoke about worship today. The A number one question that all of us have is this. God calls us to be people of worship and then God has made a way that we can worship through his son, the Lord Jesus. Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And he rose again and now offers the free gift of salvation. So the invitation this morning is first for those who need to receive Jesus as savior, experience forgiveness. Know that God lives in you. Show you uh, how to give him the true honor and glory. that, That only comes when he's in our life. But the second part of this invitation is for you who know Jesus. Some of you have just lost your focus and your lifestyle is not of genuine worship. Psalm 34, one was shared in staff meeting this week by Pastor Tim. And he said, just take a couple of minutes and think on that. And as I thought on that, I thought, how woefully short I fall at blessing the Lord at all times. How about you? Is God speaking to you about what kind of worshiper you are? One day the king of glory is going to show up and you can fool all of us, but you're not going to fool him. So I wonder today, is God speaking to you about your worship? And Lord, in the powerful and awesome name of Jesus, I ask that you would move in our hearts and lives. God, that we would be people who worship you. Our focus would be set, our heart would be right, our actions would give you the honor and glory that you deserve. And that people would see Jesus in us. In your name we pray.